Greetings members old and new, and welcome back to the Possibility Department, your one-stop shop for the modern-day occultist. If you find yourself entertaining the possibilities of anything and everything when it comes to the great unknown, then this is the place for you. My name is Luciana and I'll be your host as we dive into what I like to call spiritual and psychological templates for living our lives, interpreting our lives, and creating change in our lives. Take what you like, toss what you don't, and remember that what we talk about on this podcast is just as far-fetched as the concept of any higher power. Alright, let's talk about some weird sh- Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Possibility Department Podcast. I know every time I do an interview, I always tell you I have a treat of an interview for you, but I mean... I have a treat of an interview for you. (laughs) Today, I interviewed Ivo Dominguez, who is the author of The Four Elements of the Wise, working with the magical powers of earth, air, water, and fire. If you are watching on video, I'm holding it up so you can see the beautiful cover. Please keep in mind that if you enjoy, um, if you're the kind of person who likes to sit with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and watch the interview instead, my interviews usually last about an hour, then that is available on Patreon at the $5 level, uh, as well as all of my secret and private podcasts and like the 40 six podcasts that I deleted from the public. So um, if that's something you're interested in, consider joining at the $5 level. You can cancel anytime. There's no obligation. um, And it will help support me in the podcast and you'll get access to all of my video interviews plus a bunch of other content. Speaking of Patreon, I can't go any further, as you know, without thanking my sponsor level patrons. These are the patrons on level three who are supporting me in the possibility department becoming something bigger, better, and better, as I always say. So thank you so much to Gemma, Hannah, Sydney, Sandra, Brianna, Jewel, Amy, Mariella, Erica, Brittany, Ingrid, Karen, Tara, Myriad, Noel, Sarah, and Luna. Thank you so much for supporting me at the possibility department. And today I have an interview with Evil Dominguez, as I said, who was the author of The Four Elements of the Wise, as well as an elder at the Assembly of the Sacred Wheel. This interview makes you fall in love with the elements all over again. Usually we come to, you know, metaphysics or occultism. And certainly for me, one of the first interactions that I had with that world was the elements and I fell in love with it. I think I mentioned in the interview that um, when I started finding this world, I think I still considered myself like agnostic or even atheist, and the elements seemed like the least far-fetched thing that I could cling to because it's something that I could see and and feel and, and touch. And so I think that's the appeal for a lot of people. And then we find it and we learn about it. And reading this book and listening to Evo talk just now made me realize that a lot of uh, the way we engage with the elements is pretty surface level. It's like scratching. we're, We're just scratching the surface. There's so much more under there. And you'll hear it throughout the interview and you will definitely learn about it if you read the book. I said it throughout the interview, but I'm going to be reading the book a second time so I can really take it in. And then I don't know, after that, maybe I'll read it a third time. (laughs) So um, I had a blast with this one. We recorded it at like 10 a.m. my time. 
and I just sat there with my cold brew. If you watch the video, you'll see. I just sat there with my cold brew, like taking it all in. It was it was really, really great. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. Um, so I'm super excited for you to listen to it. I'm not going to blabber on any longer. Um, you will find all of Evo's links below so you can go order the book and support him. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy this awesome interview with Evo Dominguez. Welcome to the Possibility Department podcast, Evo Dominguez. Glad to be here. Hey. It's a great day. Well, I'm super excited to have you on. You authored this amazing book, The Four Elements of the Wise. And I love talking about the elements here, but I talk about them in a much more flat and basic form than what you've outlined in your book. So I'm excited <laughs> to have your <laughs> I'm excited to have your perspective. So I think the first question I want to ask is, you know, what is your background, spiritually speaking, and what led you to like such a strong passion for the elements? Um, I'll do the quick and condensed version. So I was raised Catholic, but as a child, I realized that wasn't for me. Uh, it didn't fit my sense of the world, uh, ask too many questions. And I was one of those kids that was always uh, picking up things, uh, spiritually dreams, uh, intuitions, um, seeing things, speaking with spirits and so on. So I did a lot of exploring and found my way to different kinds of magic. And, I, you know, I could have ended up in a ceremonial magic lodge, but my love of nature drew me more towards witchcraft. And I spent a lot of time outdoors as a child. And I think the combination of most systems of Western magic using the elements as part of the process for creating sacred space. And one of my first teachers uh, was an astrologer. So astrology lives and breathes out of the four elements. So it was a part of my beginnings. And I think that for me, it was always like central to everything because of the witchcraft part, the astrology part. And then later on, I took an interest also in uh, alchemy and Kabbalah. So it just fed on itself. Yeah. And so I guess every different practice that you went looking into, you kept finding the elements over and over and over again. Is that there accurate? Was. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, you know, if, if the universe keeps uh, poking at you and giving you the same clues, it's really a good idea to follow through. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this book is unique in that it is a much more advanced or at the very least intermediate look at the elements. Right. I know that, I mean, like I said, I've, I've looked at the elements and I use the elements as more of like a psychological template for just like viewing yes. life, but I had never seen something that goes into them so deeply. So, I mean, why do you, why do you think that the elements, I guess, are kind of glazed over in a lot of occultism? Because I didn't realize they were yeah. glazed over until I read your book. And then I was like, oh, there's I, much more here, you know? Right, right. Honestly, I, I think there are a lot of good reasons why that happens. I mean, one is that you only need to know a little bit before they actually become useful. That's right? true. So there's such immediacy of being able to make use of them either for magic or spellcraft or for understanding yourself. So, you know, it, it's very easy to get, oh, I'm getting what I need out of it and can lead to stopping because it's working, right? Yeah. So I think that's part of it. The other bit is, and you know, I love my publisher, all publishers have a bottom line. And here's the thing. Anytime you see the elements discussed uh, in, in most books and honestly, most websites where you see 
the same material reformatted in a variety of ways. It's because it's at the right level for the broadest possible audience, and they want to sell as many as possible. They want to reach as many as possible. So there's no economic incentive for the media and publishing industries to say, hey, we really need a book that's a little bit more advanced or a little bit more intermediate. Yeah. So the combo of, of uh, it being easy, accessible, and it works fast with the yeah, how many people are actually going to want to go that much deeper? But I think that there's a last one too. And that is that I'm happy for the broad expansion of the number of people that are involved in and exploring all sorts of different spiritual paths and energy and magic and the elements and the stars and all of it. But, you know, in the old days, and uh, I started this, I started, I got involved in the pagan community in, in the late 70s. So I've been at this for a bit. And back then we didn't have access to all these beautiful and wonderful resources. The good news part was that that also meant that people that were out there had more time to teach you as an individual. Right. 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 Yeah. Because so that, and when you have one-on-one -on -one conversation over an extended period of time with somebody, either because they're your teacher or you regularly go to their workshops or whatnot, you know, as they're talking, more details come out or you ask them questions and stuff builds. And I think nowadays, on the one hand, we have access to more of time and space and history and teachings than ever, yeah. right? which is wonderful. And if you try to reach out, most of the people that are writers or, or teachers or have their own groups are so overwhelmed with their own work and questions from people that are filling up their, their message and inboxes, right? Yeah. There isn't the time for that kind of dialogue. So I think that may also have had an impact because, and then it gets so hard to get access to that kind of teaching, that then people start teaching people, start teaching people that only had half the lesson. Yeah, it dilutes so, the message, I guess, right? It, or, or I'm going to leave it incomplete. Yeah, because because I don't think because I don't because I mean for, it's not that it's diluted because I don't know for me maybe that I often think of that as a as a negative kind of thing. It's more like you pass on what you have. Yeah. Right. You pass on what you have, and it is your hundred percent whatever it was that, that uh, you learned or, or collected. So it was what you had to offer. I think that uh, we'll be seeing kind of like a turning of that curve and you're going to have more people wanting to go deeper. Because the other thing is, once there's a big enough population of people exploring these kinds of alternate spiritualities or pagan or earth-centered perspectives, you get a big enough population of people to make it worthwhile to get together and learn more deeply. But you know what? Not everybody wants to learn more deeply. And, and that's, that's a thing too. Everybody needs to learn X amount of math just to get through the world. Right, but yeah, I have right, a couple yeah. of I have a couple of friends that are mathematicians because it is a calling for them. It's it's a deep love. So, but do what's right for you. But uh, but it's good to know that there is more because otherwise you don't know to ask. Right. Well, I mean, I didn't like I said I didn't know to ask, and I I talk about the elements. I deleted a lot of my old podcast episodes and put them on Patreon. But I've I've talked about the elements pretty right. extensively and how I use them to just kind of balance myself out and view the world but I had never yeah. thought of going like this deeply but I think that's something that's already happening because a lot of a lot of people in like the witchcraft and paganism community are talking about how 
most of the books that are coming out are for what they call like baby witches, which is all fine and good, you know, but like after you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, where's, you know, where's, where's the rest? Where's more, you know, and this really sort of provides that for the elements. Um, so I was wondering if you could just, you talk about it in the book, but I was wondering if you could give like a tiny little sneak peek. Tiny yeah on the history of like uh the elements and how they're used metaphysically as far as like the documentation that we do have sure sure and i'm, and I'm going to say that um uh the book focuses on uh western magic and western witchcraft but but i, I want to say that because a lot of times when people speak uh it's like they're, what they're saying applies to the whole world the whole world has a deep and rich rich history mm -hmm. i will say that almost every culture that has a spiritual or magical tradition sooner or later comes up with their equivalent of elements and it may not be four it might be five like the chinese element system or three in the norse system or whatever but every society comes up with a way to create these are the building blocks by which we define um, particular states of consciousness and energy and being and so on because it's useful in the same way that cultures create musical notation or name colors because you have to have chunks that you can work with so you can actually define things but it for folks that are primarily doing the western magic stuff honestly it goes back to the greeks i mean there were plenty of people that were contemplating the ideas of of uh, what's the universe made out of on a spiritual level and maybe uh, 450 bce before the common era uh, empedocles came up with the idea of these elements he didn't call them elements yet um, actually, uh, later on, uh, Plato, who was studying Empedocles, came up with the idea of calling them elements and also added uh, spirit or ether or the fifth element to that four. But here's the thing. Uh, Greece and the thinkers of that time, like if you have any knowledge of astrology, you realize that it's part and parcel of astrology. You can't, can't do astrology without the four elements. Well, it was kind of like at the same time that these ideas were coming into being all the different kinds of star lore because remember what the greeks did they loved knowledge from everywhere and honestly uh they were the first uh cosmopolitan inclusive uh, culture in the sense of believing that uh that uh, the whole world was 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 the place to explore not just their little territory right right yeah. by the way they're they they're the ones you know and, and they civilized the romans i mean the romans picked up most of the ideas from the Greeks and then modified them to fit them. But it was at that roughly that same time period that astrology was being converted from something that was um, star lore and some broad things to the thing that eventually became Western astrology and the offshoot that became Vedic astrology, because there's also the four elements in the Hindu system. They also have other things in Ayurveda, but the four elements show up again. Right. And those are the ones that came through time and you know were processed by different uh, teachers and ended up being part of Kabbalah, ended up being part of alchemy, ended up being part of the Western way. And whether you talk, though, also, I'm going to throw in uh, Avicenna, who was a, a Persian uh, scholar in, in around 1025. He wrote quite a bit about the elements that still has an impact on Western stuff. So really, you find it in a lot of places. And it came to us uh, through the renaissance period as well i mean i could the problem is i can't do a history in five minutes yeah or, no no <laughs> words, right but but what i'm saying is that it is got long roots deep roots and that most of the systems uh, or of magic what i call the sacred sciences 
had the four elements as, as a starting point. And a lot of early health uh, matters were, were defined by the four elements as well, the four humors. So right. it's, it's got lots of deep roots. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, it seems that every culture has kind of their own version or own system of it. So right. I, I mean, would you say that this is something like universal, I guess, that we sort of all have claim to? We all have claim to the elements. We all have access to the elements. We Well, I believe we all have access to the elements because the way I view them is uh, the elements, however you describe them, are a way of human beings trying to make sense of the spiritual and energetic universe. And we make sense of things by naming them, by knowing them, by experiencing and making them something definite. Right. I mean, reality is all of one piece. But for us to understand, we have to see the moving parts. So I think that uh, now, specifically, the four elements uh, that are used in magic that were as described by the Greeks originally, it, that's available to everybody because they never intended for any of their stuff to be closed. It was always a, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they yeah. were always about, I mean, you know, if you, if you go to, they went to Egypt, they went to Greece, they went. Greece went to India, to the Roman Empire. They were, they were the original uh, cosmopolitan explorers of the world, and, and all knowledge was knowledge to be shared. So at the root of it, it was meant to be shared, at least the system of it. Now, there are specific things in other cultures which may be held as sacred and private, but this isn't one of them. Right, right. And in your book, you talk about um, the elements sort of being like far bigger and far greater oh, yeah. and more vast oh. than what we can physically see. So I was wondering yeah. if you could explain to the listeners kind of what that means, that vastness. Sure. And, and I'm going to say this also connects back to the, uh, the piece about uh, uh, why sometimes uh, people uh, just stick with the basics with the elements. Because mm -hmm. one of the, one of the problems, here's one of the other reasons why it's like, you know, I've, I've been taking little sips of water because I was, I was cleaning up boxes of, of filled with books and dusty things yesterday. So my allergies are in overdrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, so I have some water right here. Uh, but here's the thing. When you have a candle flame or um, a bowl of water or some salt or a crystal in front of you or the window open so the breeze can come in or a feather just to move the air around. Hey, I, I'm in touch with the elements because I can actually touch it, see it, feel it. It's right in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, but you know what, that also makes it small and psychologically, it's very easy for us to be dismissive of that, which is easy and, and, and tangible and right in front of us. Right. And we, and we can forget now, anybody who has ever been uh, out on, uh, on a, on a bridge when it's a big storm knows that the elements are powerful and much bigger than that tiny little breeze or that little movement of feather or, or seen a, a roaring bonfire and gotten a little close enough to go, I need to back off, it's too hot. But um, I'm going to suggest to you that when you see all those small examples of the elements, what you are seeing is like the equivalence of cells in one large body. Each yeah. piece of them is just one tiny thing that is fire or water or air or earth and you know spirit's a whole nother thing and when we look at it that way we or we can or we can look at it as a hive um i keep bees and you can think of each bee has its own existence 
but the hive as a whole and, and, and the queen as its focal point is also another kind of being as a whole, as a yeah. collective being. So uh, the elements can be individuals like those bees and can also be a collective like a whole hive. But to me, that means that that, uh, that little candle flame in front of me is connected spiritually to the fire of the sun and the farthest stars in the heavens and to the fire in my metabolism so that each of them are connected to each other. I mean, you know, most, most spiritual folks I know or magical folks talk about the interconnectedness of, of, of all life and, and all beings. And, you know, uh, the, the, pop, the, the first start of the popularization of that idea to mass culture was you use the force loop, the idea of everything being connected yeah. In, at that yeah. level, right? And that's probably the introdu first introduction that a lot of people had to that idea. Um, but, but what I'm going to suggest is that when you work with the elements, it may be that you're working with just one tiny chunk, but that doesn't mean that it isn't connected to something larger and something larger and something larger up until the vastness of the entire universe. Because on a, on, a, on a profound and deep level, I'm just going to be really geeky for a moment. In a sense, uh, if you, if, if you look into creation of the universe kind of stuff from a scientific perspective, and you don't need to argue about which theory of whether it was the Big Bang or, or, or which other theory of, of creation currently holds true. But here's what most physicists agree. In the beginning, there was only one force. And that force then split into two. And that force split again and became four. And that became uh, gravity and electromagnetism and a strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. So even is it a, and I'm not going to say that they are one and the same as the four elements we work in, but the universe at its foundation had four forces that allowed to evolve into planets and stars and the worlds that we live in. So I think it's better to, if you need a reminder about that the elements are big, go look at a Hubble picture. I love that. I love that. And I think the way you put it in your book is that um, every tiny drop of water is connected to every other body of water. Like you said, Absolutely. every flame is connected to every fire. Um, so I guess from there, my question is, you know, when we're when we're thinking of it in like that big and vast sense, are we tapping into from your perspective, are we tapping into, you know, the whole spirit of fire would you consider it a spirit or i mean you also go into the elementals as well in your book you know i'm gonna i use spirit as a catch-all for a lot of things because i think the language is really imprecise it is yeah <laughs> it really is i mean yeah. uh you know I, I don't speak sanskrit but i've been told that it has a lot of cool words for specific things that we don't have in english or oh, Spanish, wow. for that matter um but so I think of it as this, um, let's say that you are, I, I don't think that it's, we touch the totality. However, we don't need it. I mean, there's, there's a phrase and I don't know where I picked it up uh, or who said it first, but uh, you, you don't summon a dragon to roast your chicken because you'll just end up with ashes. Got it. <laughs> so the part of it is there are limits to what our mortal frame can manage. Yeah. So, so I think out of kindness, as much shows up as is perhaps needed for what is being asked. But I also think of it as a full ecology. And, and the idea, the beehive idea was part of the suggestion that each, like every cell in our body has a particular kind of intelligence. It knows what it's supposed to do, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's specialized cells. Well, I think, but collectively we're organized. 
so that let's say, but now let's convert that idea to if you only need a small bit of intelligence and individuation, then perhaps the part of the spirit of fire, the elemental that comes forth is just the right size for what you are asking. But maybe in the process of, of communicating with it, trying to express your desires and your needs, you and they, because they also have their own agency and they have their own existence in my book, at least, um, go, oh, I need more help. So maybe four or five additional bits attached to them and they become a bigger being. Right. And maybe it's bigger than that. And they say, I'm going to call to something that is my superior, which is more of me put together. So I, I think that there is a, and I'm going to be cheesy, but uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's the Voltron thing or the pl <laughs> Captain Planet thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except in this case, it's it's not combining different elements, but that the, the elements are modular consciousness, if you will, because you know what? They are not, here's the big difference between us and them at that level. We are so hung up on being us, individually me, with my quirks and my personality and whatever. The elements don't necessarily have that kind of like boundary issue. So the idea of merging temporarily and becoming something larger or more connected to other things, I don't think is inherently problematic for them in the way that when humans try to work together, we have to deal with all sorts of, of differences and, and respect for, for individuation. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And also a really scientific way of explaining it, which is really cool <laughs> and I definitely appreciate. I think what brought me to the elements, it was one of the first things that I think I gravitated towards like yeah. in my beginning in spirituality I think because I was looking for something um for a while I kind of considered myself like agnostic and then for a while like atheist and the elements seemed like something so it was like the least mm -hmm. far-fetched of all spirituality because right? I, I could see it I could feel it you know what I mean um but to think of it in that vast sense I don't think I've ever thought of like connecting it to like the cosmos or to creation itself and that adds a whole nother layer of um, it being kind of godlike, you know, kind of like super powerful. It is, it is. And, and uh, it's, it's also, uh, uh, and I, I don't know if everybody listening will know what the, what the Rosetta Stone is. Probably, um, yes. Okay. So, I mean, the Rosetta Stone had uh, same inscription, three different languages, thereby people could figure out how to translate those ancient languages because, hey, if I could pick out this blah, blah, blah. I think because the whole universe is made out of the elements and we're made out of the elements and those energies and consciousness live within us, that's our Rosetta Stone that allows us to make sense of and connect with other spiritual forces. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, love that. I mean, I mean, yes, you know, a lot of people talk about your divine spark, or your higher self or whatever thing, and, and that's a thing too. But I also think it's because, you know, there's a, there's a resonance and a connection between that which we're made of and that which all that's around us is made of as well. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Um, and the other thing that I wanted to touch on was the use of tools, because you have a section in your book that <laughs> you yes. made a face there. <laughs> you have a section in your book um, that makes that comparison to the magician card and the tarot and all of the various tools that uh, the magician has. Um, and so my question is, because I... I think a lot of my listeners, it's not that we're anti-tools, <laughs> but like the, right? I guess the most specialized form of occultism that I've like, I guess, dived into was probably chaos magic and chaos magic 
is kind of doesn't really have any tools you know what i mean so oh no oh no i i i I disagree i think it's it's got i think it's full of different kinds of tools that's true there's a big variety because you can use anything is that variety right yeah yeah i guess the specialized tools of it so i guess my question is um to work like to work more intensely with the elements not just surface level but to work more intensely with the elements do you find tools to be necessary or more of like an amplifier of energy so you don't need any tools honestly i mean i i don't need tools to work magic right uh i don't i don't, I don't think anybody does and and the ancients uh honestly the 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 ancients didn't have these tools either yeah and and uh, I made a face early on because I cannot tell you how many uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter conversations I've kind of like rolled my eyes and walked away because I don't want to get involved with people arguing about which tool means what and why and what it should be made of and blah, 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 blah. Because I go, I'm pretty sure my ancestors, the first chalice they had was cupping water in their hands. Right, yeah. And, and, and it took a long time before we could actually... Uh, refine and smelt uh, metal and forge and 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 make things like uh, daggers or knives or, or or swords so that's a fairly recent thing in humanity from a from that kind of long range perspective yeah but i do think uh here's the part that where where i think there's a value in them humans are also in pretty pretty much i mean there are very few things that i'm going to say are inherent in humans most things i think are about culture and conditioning and so on everything's a social construct but mm-hmm. Tool, tool use is inherent. I mean, from, from the get-go, whether it means picking up a stick or poke, poke, using a, a rock on something, humans have used, always used tools. Right. And right. I think that the thing to think of is that when and why to use tools. Like, for example, yesterday I was working a little bit in the garden and I was using a wheelbarrow to move soil from you know one spot to another and move mulch from one spot to another. The wheelbarrow allows me to move a bigger volume of stuff than I could carry in my hands or I could carry in a shovel. So, <clears throat> but the question to ask is, uh, what are the tools for? Now, sometimes the tools are for focusing energy or power, and, and, that, and that could be like an amplifier, or it could be like a, a lens that focuses light to make it into a bright hot dot. Um, and that's true, but sometimes it's also about volume. Um, because it's one more helper if you're trying to move more energy than perhaps feels comfortable for you. So it depends on what you're trying to do. And sometimes you don't need them at all. And other times they're very useful. But here's the part where where I would say there's another category. And I have, honestly, uh, my tools spend a lot of time on the altar rather than in my hand. Oh, okay. And I use them as anchors and magnets or and or as signal flares to get the attention of the powers I'm trying to draw or as a meditative contemplative thing that if I'm holding the chalice and looking into it or holding the wand or holding my my sword or my dagger and and then it becomes a different kind of um, psychological tool you know how a lot of folks talk about low magic and high magic which is not a necessarily a useful thing. Yeah, I'm gonna throw in, I'm gonna throw in middle magic. Uh, 
So every time that we use the power of the mind, where we make associations with things, things and objects or ideas or, or, or symbols, and we have strong emotional or cognitive or memory connection to something, we're using the power of the mind to focus. So I think the tools can also be used for that kind of middle magic where the mind is the focal point and the tool, we do a lot better sometimes when we externalize things so we can see it in our hand. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But I'm not going to argue somebody, but you know, if, if you came up with four different things and said, this one's going to be air, this one's going to be fire, I'm not going to argue with whether that's a good or a bad association if it works for you. The, the, the plus side to working with uh, the ones that are oldie moldy, like on the magician card or mm -hmm. in many books that you pop open is there have been, I'll, I'll use a technical term, there have been a crap ton of people who have worked with that specific symbology. Yeah. And yeah. The, when, when you think about something and you feel about something and when you work energy or magic, a thought form is created. A imprint is left in the collective imprint on the astral or in memory and whatnot. And when you use one of those shapes or tools or patterns, you tap into all the work that's been done before. So it gives you kind of a, a little lift. Yeah. So there's a value in it from that perspective as well. But there's a lot of different differences about which things should be what and what colors mean what. The only thing I'm going to say about uh, that is that if you are working with a particular symbol set, internalize it completely and don't mix and match until you've got one done. Uh, the example I usually give is it would be like trying to learn Spanish, Portuguese, and French at the same time. Oh, what a nightmare. It would be used <laughs> because there's just enough differences and just enough similarities that they would all get blurred and murky in your head. Yeah. So what I've learned all three of them, but give enough time in between so that they're set. The same is true when you're working with different color systems or, 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 or symbol, little glyphy symbols for them or whatnot. Once you've got it, then you can mix and match all you like. It's kind of like uh, you need to know if you're going to combine two different cuisines or di two different spice spices from different uh, flavor palettes, you better know both of them well before you start mixing and matching or else it might not be pretty. Right, right. And I, the symbols, like you said, on the magician card, they are very old and embedded into like general occultism and metaphysics in a way that we might not even consciously know, but it's, right. it would probably be easier to just go there first would you say and work with the more traditional one like if you do tarot then it might be easier to start with the traditional symbology and tools sure or you know and, and i and i think the thing there is that um intentionally and consciously tap into it like a like a, as if it were a, a wind a strong wind to push the sails of a ship or dipping into the uh, uh gulf streams to take advantage of that current so think of it as uh, as intentionally using, even if you're not going to stick with it, or even if it doesn't speak to you, it it's a, it's a power that you can tap into and use for your purposes. And honestly, um, you know, there there is a the biggest step forward uh, from my perspective that came with chaos magic was the idea that you could construct new things to tap into those powers think of it let's imagine a river that's flowing mm -hmm. okay this is the only way to build a water wheel to turn the mill to grind the flour no you could there's a lot of different ways to build something that will go into the water and take advantage of that current to to do the same so that so the jump forward was that 
ex find where the power is and then create a structure that will tap into it that makes sense to you or suits your specific need. And I think the same can be true of the elements, but uh, when you have, oh, I'll give you one of the things, man, I talk too much. Uh, no, keep talking. Uh, if, this you is have, good. <laughs> if, if you have personal tools, whatever they may be, whether they're uh, elemental tools or not, and I, I, I have a term that I use, the sacred regalia, for those tools that are specifically your elemental tools that are the ones you go on the altar and the ones that specifically represent the elements to you. Because you can have a wand that has nothing to do with the elements, right? Right, yeah. Or, 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 a, or a bowl or a chalice that has nothing to do with specifically water. That's your scrying bowl. It's not your representative of water bowl, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you work with a tool and whether this is purely internal psychological, or I believe that we are actually leaving an imprint of energy in our tools as we work with them, because otherwise psychometry would never work. You know, the deal where people grab objects and tell you the history of what What's happened, happened, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so when we work with a magical tool, it begins to remember us and are working with it. Right. And I like to describe it as, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I don't ride horses, but this is the idea. So it's, it's a horse that uh, knows its way on that terrain, knows its way back to the barn. And if you're drowsy and sleepy and exhausted on the horse, the horse will still get you home because it knows the way. Mm -hmm. When we have tools that have soaked up enough of us, even when we're tired or distracted or get woozy, which sometimes happens when you're doing this kind of work, mm -hmm. it will help to remind you of what you were doing or what you were trying to tap into. So think of it also uh, as a reservoir for you. Yeah. I think a lot of people also refer to that as programming, right? Where you sort of program a tool or is that something you different? Can. They are related. I mean, you can program a tool, consecrate it, uh, whichever language people want to use, but that's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's okay. And that, and that's a good thing. But what I'm talking about is aside from any intentional work you've done with the tool, simply the act of working with that material, that physical object again and again and again in those ways leaves a residue of, of energy and information in it that is separate from what you planned. And sometimes, honestly, uh, it supplements or is better than what you put in there officially. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because it builds over time, I guess. It builds over time, right. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I was also wondering, I'm just going to add a disclaimer for everyone listening. I'm going to read your book again because I, want, <laughs> I finished it and I'm going to read it again um, because I, I, first of all, want to take it slow and like really take notes and, and do the exercises and all that stuff. And then uh, secondly, there are parts of it that I feel like I need to like read that again to really take in what it's saying. Um, but I was wondering if you could explain to the listeners what a sub element is, because it was right around yeah. that point where I was like. Uh, you know, like, enough, enough, enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they're actually a fairly big deal in, in, in ceremonial magic and also uh, in, in, in astrology as well, actually. And even the tarot cards have supplemental associations as well. But, okay. You know, um, as above, so below, you've probably heard three trillion times yep. the hermetic axiom, right? Or some variation thereof. But um, let's imagine the idea of uh, everything is reflected smaller and smaller and smaller. So down to the last little bit of energy in you is a reflection of the whole universe. There's like a little bit of the whole map inside everything, right? Yeah. The holographic universe kind of deal. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Though, though I I like to add to the holographic uh, universe idea that, uh, you know, if you, if you add actual hologram, not the cheapy cheesy ones, but the real ones, Mm -hmm. and you cut it in half, you still got both pictures. You can still see the whole image by tilting it around, right? You Mm -hmm. can cut it down to like a 16th. Yep. But now you've kind of like straining your head and moving your, your body just to see the whole image, but it's still there. The problem is the smaller the piece, the grainier the resolution, it gets pixelated. Oh. The whole picture's still there, but it's more pixelated or contains less detail of the whole, but the map, the basic map is still there. Right. So, and and the, and I'm gonna say, unlike some of my friends that believe spirit is everything and overcomes everything, no. Once you're in matter, uh, there are there there's finite limits to, to how it works. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I wish that wasn't the case. Life and magic would be so much better and easier, but more fun. (laughs) More fun. So back to the sub-element idea, because it really was a lead up to that. So that means that even the elements themselves, which are supposed to be all fire, all water, all air, whatever, aren't. But it's not actualized. It's not developed. So imagine for a minute that uh, you've got this little glob of of, uh, fire elemental consciousness, energy. I like breaking everything up into energy essence and form and and energy essence and information kind of thing. So it is, if you looked at it, all you would see was fire. But in it, encoded in its essences, in the universe, there's this thing called air. In the universe, there's this thing called water. In the universe, there's this thing called earth. So it remembers... In the same way that uh, when when uh, when we develop in our mother's womb, um, we we take the shape of all the different animal ancestors we were before we end up looking human. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we remember the whole journey to us. It remembers the whole journey, which means that there are parts of it which are, resonate to that. So, for example, um, think about uh, and, and psychologically it works first, and then it builds on using it magically in other ways. So let's let's think about uh, fire for a minute. So let's think about air. For most people, air is communication and mind and insight and that kind of stuff. And so what would be the air of fire? Well, if you think of fire as um, the force that seeks, the force that uh, moves, the force that sheds light, Anytime that, you know, it's, there's a reason why we have the light bulb go off over our heads uh, symbolically for a new idea. So the air of fire is that air of inspiration when it's a new sparked idea or a new passion related. Do, do you get the, and, yeah, and the yeah, passion, yeah. That, that geek passion that we feel when we yes. find something? <laughs> so, so that you can think of it as, uh, as, as different places within the element where you got have, have kind of like a combined uh, influence of the two. I see. And if we, were, if we were looking at the fire of air, we would use different words. They would look like cousins. There's similarity between how the air of fire versus the fire of air. And it takes time to play with the ideas. It's kind of like you get the elements down and then you, and now why would you want to do these? Because there are some times where that is like an amazing thing. Um, we do a healing ceremony that we've done publicly and privately. I include it in the book and hope that people can figure out how to do it from looking at the instructions and hopefully finding the links to listen to the chants in it. But the deal there is that is a ritual where 
all of the whole sacred space and it, it's a you know four directions calling kind of thing but water is called in all four directions so you've got the air of water you've got the fire of water the water of water the earth of water in the center there's a bowl or a cauldron that's that's the spirit or essence of water and leaving you know but it, they're all called and in the end uh peak point the the four waters are brought to the center and mixed together but what the ritual is about it's a healing ritual because we're connecting directly to what that means is think about water is emotions water is matters of the heart water is our history or the cycles of our life etc well you know what our thoughts have a big impact on on our emotions and uh, the cycles of our life and how and the story we tell ourselves about what that is so by calling the air of water we engage the way that thought connects to our emotion Right. By calling right. the fire of water, you know, because passions and emotions are not quite the same thing. I, I think of, uh, of of emotions as being how we respond and how we feel, whereas passions are things that we are drawn to uh, or, 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 or uh, that we have a, a, a need to do. Anyway, and the water of water is, is actually delving deep. Earth of water is how it shapes us because we are shaped by our water. And then the mixing of them together at that part of the ritual is about now we're gonna bring all these together so they're actually talking to each other and working together. So you can, you can use the, the sub elements as a way of crafting particular kinds of rituals or workings or path workings, guided visualizations. Um, and later on, uh, you, can, you can look at, uh, uh, for, for example, in astrology, I'm a Sag, and uh, which means mutable fire mm -hmm. and mutable fire in astrology is the water of fire. Oh, which yeah. gives it, a which is why, which is why the three fire, some of the difference for the fire signs is that, you know, uh, Aries is fire of fire. That is and, I. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and so, so it's kind of like that double, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the chocolate cake with the chocolate frosting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But, but you get the idea. I mean, yeah. so that, so that it provides other nuances and, you know, and, and uh, Leo is fixed fire, which makes it the air of fire. Right. Right. Anyway. So, but it's, it's a way of looking at it deeper, but you know what, you don't need it until you need it. It's kind of like uh, 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 if you, if you were uh, an artist, uh, perhaps it's not a bad idea to start with a palette with just a, you know, six or eight colors on the palette uh, rather than three trillion as you're trying to do something because you learn and as you go you decide oh i need that tool or i need that nuance right right so but they're really so, useful i mean to clarify for listeners then so you would be doing this ritual i guess what you're saying is in um it may be a more like standardized context when you're calling on the four directions it would just be earth air fire water but for this healing ritual you are All specifically water. focusing on water and calling the the fire of not water all, the water yet. of water yeah, and not only are we calling water in all four directions in that ritual, but uh, in that ritual, there we usually use four people though to do this. We have four people standing at the four directions, and when they call that direction, they're not holding a, a wand or or a dagger; they're holding a chalice. So there's a chalice in all four directions. Yeah, yeah. Because who says that you have to do it just one way? Right, right. And where I think this is super useful is, um, I think. Um, we've had like, I have a discord server over on Patreon where we right. talk about things like this. And we've, we've had situations that would arise where we talk about the elements and things in the context of the elements. And you come across like, you know, some area of life or something that you're going through or something you want to shift. And you're like, is this a fire thing 
or is this a water thing? Like there are things that kind of might, if you it have helps. a basic understanding, like I do, they kind of lie in the middle and you're like, I don't know where this goes, but the idea of a sub element gives it a focus and a form that you can work with more intensely and intentionally. Right. Right. It also, for people that uh, uh, get involved in herbalism, there are a lot of, of books on herbalism, especially the ones that have a magical focus that will say that there are herbs of fire or water or whatever. But if you actually look, some of them are actually more sub-elemental. Like, for example, a coconut is often presented as an herb of water or associated with water. How come? Coconut water, it's filled with fluid. That would be what yeah, I would you know initially what? think, it, yeah. It, it's also <laughs> it, but, but it's also earth of water because it's got that hard shell. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a structure that holds liquid. Yes, yeah, I love that. Um, so but, I... But, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was say that, your thought. <laughs> that that uh, if if you know more about the elements, then it gives you more clues about why either medicinal recipes or magical recipes made out of herbal material uh, are what they are. Or if you want to modify them, how you would what you would choose to modify with. Yeah. Which element or sub element you want to add or or uh, subtract. That makes sense. Uh, so I have a question that's kind of more fun for you, just because like you, <laughs> being that you've worked with this for a long time and you kind of view the elements running through, I guess, all of occultism and metaphysics, do you see, do you look at the world and see elements all the time too? Like, do you meet people and, and see elements or witness events and see elements? Like, how does that work for you? Yeah, I mean, I do, uh, though, though, though I'm going to gonna fess up that I actually uh, have multiple all right one of the one of the things when you have studied too many things and you're also uh either very psychic or prone to hallucination i'm not sure which people <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> or have so i i will often uh either meeting somebody or i'm at a situation and I mean, sometimes it's as stupid as it looks like there's a, a post-it floating in front of them with a message for me and I'll, I'll read the little message. Or sometimes I'll uh, consciously, you know, kind of like go through my steps and look to see what's going on with the elements, look to see if, I, if anything pops up that's uh, astrological, either related to their pl a planetary force that's in play or, or one of the signs that's in play and what story that's about. But yeah, I, I do, though there are times when um, I will see people's uh, auras. And in addition to this kind of color uh, patterns that people teach for this color means this, blah, 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 blah. Here's where you have to separate the Spanish from the Portuguese for a moment. Okay. If I'm looking at, if I'm looking at somebody's, if I'm intentionally looking at somebody's energy and I'm, I'm looking to see, doing a scan for uh, health issues or, or spiritual issues, then I'm probably going to tap in and use the color code that I have from one of the many uh, energy healing or chakra systems, right? Mm -hmm. And then change hats, change glasses, change from Portuguese to Spanish. And then I'm going to look and try to see where is the fire in them? Where is the water in them? And it really is more, all right, magic is really about your building your own invisible augmented reality glasses. I love right? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to flip through which program you want to scan through. Mm -hmm. Which filter? Um, so rich filter, right? Yeah. And because you're going to, because what you, but you have to have knowledge that I am choosing to view it 
through this particular code or pattern. I'm choosing to view it through this particular code or pattern because otherwise you can get yourself really confused because it's too many layers at once. Yeah. Honestly, uh, honestly, uh, I'm pretty, pretty systematic, but yes, I, there are times that um, I'll look and for example, if somebody uh, uh, isn't feeling well, I'm, one of the first things I'm going to look to see if, if they're low on fire or if they've got an excess of, of air or water. I mean, I'm going to look and see at that first. Right. Because that's going to give me some quick information about uh, whether or not I get, need to give them something hot to drink or something cold to drink. Yeah. I love how practical that is, too. Yeah. And does that happen fairly quickly for you? Or are, are you able to look at you know, that in a quick sense? Or It does. It yeah. does nowadays. And, and uh, I, just uh, to, as a fair warning to everybody, in my earliest days, uh, it was like I was tripping all the time once I got into magic because I allowed my imagination and my senses to run free and I could see stuff all the time. And then it began to fade for a while. And then it came back stronger again. So it's normal for people to cycle now. Part of that was specific psychological and learning changes I was going through. But the other was... Uh, making a choice to not feel overwhelmed once if you because a lot of times people shut themselves down or turn down the knob mm -hmm. because it's gotten too much yeah if you never forget that you're the one that turns the knob yeah um i did a little i did a little affirmation uh for different purposes and variations of it and i use it when i need it um and it goes something like this use your own words etc get the gist of it Show me the things I need to see. Show me the things that I can do something about. Don't show me the things that I have no power and nobody that I can warn about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, otherwise, I want to see everything. No, you don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Um, no, you don't. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I love I love the way you put it, that it's a knob that you can and you have to remember that you're the one that you can have to remember turn it up because it can get so it, I think this world in yes. general can get so overwhelming because it's a we're we're talking in metaphors. It's it's things that don't have necessarily physical form. And so if, if you right. spend a lot of time in your own head, you can go down a lot of different wormholes and not all of them lead to places that are fun, you know. <laughs> Or productive. Or productive. Yeah, you right. waste a lot of time. Um, so what would you say are kind of like the biggest benefits of working with this kind of magic specifically? It gives you access to yourself and it gives you access to the world around you. Yeah. Uh, if you, I mean, most people start with finding the elements within themselves, uh, usually either physically or in their psychology. And that's immediately useful. And it gives you a way to um, analyze and distance, provide a little detachment. So that's useful. Yeah. It also means that you have uh, more immediate access to the magic of the world all around you because there's no place that you can be. You don't have to go to uh, Stonehenge. You don't have to go to uh, uh, Tibet. Uh, anywhere that you are, there, the elements are always with you. Right. So, and it requires nothing complicated so that it is, a, and worst case scenario, turn in, turn inwards. Um, I actually strongly believe that uh, you are uh, in the same way that the elementals are a collective consciousness. Yeah, you're, 
that thing that you call your your uh, selfhood, I think, is what happens when the four elements in you become one, and that's your fifth element. That's that's the part that's you. That's the fifth element, as in like that's spirit. That's that's what connects it all. Well, there's ether, there's ether, there's quintessence and spirit, yeah. and and the words get mixed up and used the same way or separate ways in different traditions. But to my way of looking at it, that fifth element, the quintessence, is what is 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 our actual mind our actual consciousness oh, the, elementals that li- the elementals that live within us when they are combined become what we call our, our own awareness our own consciousness yeah yeah so i mean where would you recommend for like a super beginner to start with the elements truthfully you with with the things that i that i said are the problem at the beginning um get a bowl of water get get a rock get a feather get a candle and at first just pay attention to or or anything else that's comparable right just mm-hmm. get physical anchors uh basically whether you know it or not you're you're creating a a, a altar on your kitchen counter right yeah and yeah. tune into that fire at first pretend you're an artist and say how would i draw this how would i paint this or a photographer which angle would i take this at or the same as and and with it, with each of the objects that are the representatives for that element, tune in to every last physical detail that you can glean or, or how you can understand it now, no, now that you know it, because it's all, honestly, it's everything's about relationships, powers, elements, et cetera. Now, look at that fire or look at or that water, tip your fingertip into that cool water for a moment and try to feel its aura. Try to treat it as a living being, because you know what? Uh, if you don't think of it as a living being, you won't see it as a living entity. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so now that you know what it looks like and what it feels like and its physical properties, now I'd like to get to know you. So pretend that it was another human being and how you would reach out your energy or in, your intuition if you were trying to feel what it felt. Oh, by the way, if you end up talking to yourself and giving it a voice like, you know, like I have dogs, and I, there are plenty of times that I talk for the dog. What, you know, I'll talk to the dog and I'll I answer do too. back what I think. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but you know what? This is human trait. I think I, this is yeah. one of those cross-cultural traits, right? But here's the thing. The process of talking for the element mm-hmm. begins to slowly tune you in. Because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I can, when I talk for, for my dog that I know well, um, I actually guessed right. Oh, that is what the dog wanted. It did want yeah. a, I'm not going to say yeah. the magic out, outside word in the full sense or, or its favorite treat because I've guessed right because I've tuned into it. So the, even if you feel silly when you're talking for that flame or talking for that water, you're actually teaching yourself to try to tune into what that consciousness is like. And no, it doesn't have words. It doesn't have language. That's that's a probably a mammal thing or nah, probably birds too. But it's probably a, a, a past a certain level of complexity, animal life thing, but it has consciousness, it has spirit, it has beingness, even if it doesn't have language. Right. So you're and trying to translate for it. I, that's what I was going to say, I guess, like in that process of connecting, you're translating it into your own language because it doesn't have language. Is that kind of the feel? Correct. It doesn't have language, but it does have consciousness. Right. And, and people go, how can you do that? That's, I'm going to just put it out there. Um, I'll use a, a classic historical example. Helen Keller was brilliant, and she grew up for many years of her life without having language. She did not 
see, she did not hear, but yeah. she had consciousness and she had a consciousness that was bright enough and swift enough to learn that uh, strange motions in, in, in the palm of her hand with somebody else's fingers actually meant something. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, consciousness and intelligence can exist without this thing that we call language. Yeah, that's a beautiful example. I, I love that. Um, so of, cor of course they can talk to us, but we have to get the ball rolling. Yeah, we have to give them the mic. We have to give them the microphone. Right. <laughs> we, we absolutely do. I love that. Amazing. Well, um, thank you so much for being here today, Evo. And where can we find you? How can we support you? Where are you hanging out on the internet? Honestly, easiest way to find me is uh, evodominguezjr.com. Or you can find me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, Evo Dominguez Jr. I mean, it's the, the, the good thing nowadays, not so great when I was a kid, but having an unusual name makes you easily found on the internet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm the only search <laughs> result that comes up. So, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. And hopefully you'll want to buy my book. Oh, and I am going to throw in something about uh, about books in general. And, and uh, so, and, and I, I use this to tease some of my friends. Most books on magic, if you, if you thought it was good the first time through, deserves a second or third time through. Mm -hmm. And, and I always joke, books are not meant to be one night stands. <laughs> That's great. Well, I mean, like they I said, I'm are, certainly right? going to reread this one because <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I need to take it in another time. Would you say that about, I guess, most magical books then if it, if it hits you good honestly, once and you need to go through it again? I honestly think that if, 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 if it connected the first time, then there's layers in there that are just waiting to be discovered. Um, in the same way that uh, when you first meet somebody and have a long conversation with them, you, you don't, or her, you don't pick up everything. True. Very true. Yeah. And you, and you learn their style of communicating or, or some things you don't know until you've had time to digest. Right. Yeah. Well, this, this book was amazing and I'm going to be linking it for everyone and linking all of the different social links for Evo Dominguez. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast and taking the time, Evo. It was amazing. It was delightful. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I certainly did. Please head to the links below, whether you're listening on the podcast or watching the video on Patreon, and go find Evo on the various social media platforms. Check out his website. Definitely, definitely, definitely order the book. If you have any interest in the elements, this is a much deeper and richer dive than you've probably ever seen. <laughs> I think I can say that with confidence. So dive into the magic of the elements and thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me and stay mysterious. <laughs>